standing and reflect on the fact that God reigns, that he is on his throne and he is sovereign over all. Just where you're standing, would you give him praise for his sovereignty and for his reign over all things? God's sovereign and on his throne reigning. He is right here with us. So take a minute now and praise God and thank him for his nearness to you.
First Chronicles 16 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. And let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Almighty God, we are so thankful that we get to declare in song what the angels around your throne are declaring and see that you are sovereign and you are reigning over all things. And yet, Lord, your sovereignty, your reign doesn't mean you're distant from us. Lord, you are near with us in the good times and in the bad. Lord, you are right here always with us. And that is such a comfort to us. And I just want to thank you this morning that we get to worship the one true God who is both great and good, who is both infinite and near all at the same time. Lord, I pray that that would just our minds would marvel over that, that we would behold you and think about you and see how amazing you are. Lord, that you are holy, you are above all things, and you are so good. Lord, to think that you, the one who reigns, invites us to come before your throne to bring our requests. Lord, what an incredible invitation you have given to us. Lord, may we never lose the wonder that we get to talk to you, you who know all things. You don't need us to come tell you anything because you already know it that you invite us to come into your presence and to bring our concerns and our needs and just to sit in your presence. Lord, what an incredible blessing that is, not just individually, but us corporately together as the people of Gateway to sing these truths, but also now to talk to you in prayer. Lord, we are so thankful for the many ways we see your hand moving in our midst, the many ways we see you working in our lives and the lives of one another. Lord, you are so good to us. We want to give you thanks for that. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in the youth ministry. Thank you for the encouraging update from Daniel and the vision you've given to the youth ministry team for this to be multi-generational, to not to be siloed by themselves, but for the teenagers to know the older adults and the older adults to know the teenagers. We pray you continue to bridge those generational divides and that friendships will develop across this church among all the ages. We thank you for the vision you've given to people within Gateway to serve the community. We thank you for the hopes ministry that Seth oversees. Thank you for the opportunity to get into Capitol Heights Middle School and to meet practical needs of that school to meet practical needs of the family, to tutor children, and to do all the many things to eat, even make sure people's food needs are met. Or as we prepare for the start of the new school year here in a few months, we pray you'll give wisdom to Seth and the others who are serving in the Hope's ministry to know how we can best be your hands and feet among this needy school and this needy community right here in Montgomery. And we thank you for other churches in Montgomery that we get to partner alongside. Thank you for Morning View Baptist and Pastor Sean there. We pray as they gather right now, Lord, that you would fill their hearts with joy as you're doing for us as well to just enjoy your presence and to feast on your word as Pastor Sean teaches it today. We pray your blessings over morning view. We thank you for Taylor and Sarah Fox in France. Lord, for what you're doing through them in a difficult place, a place where there's so few who know who you are, who even behold you and see your greatness. We pray that you'll give Taylor and Sarah the wisdom they need for to make you known there in Strasbourg. And Lord, as they prepare to come home for a few weeks, we pray their weeks home in July and August will be a time of refreshment, just to be encouraged in what you're doing and to be able to be sent back out, Lord, encouraged in the gospel and ready to tackle a new year ahead. Lord, we thank you that we get to pray for missionaries around the world. And we want to pray for the missionaries Phil and Kimberly Kane, who are serving in the country of Niger. And Lord, as they are preparing to return to that country to do Bible studies and kids' clubs and strengthen local churches, we pray you'll give to Phil and to Kimberly the, the wisdom they need and the strength they need to equip the locals to make you known among the peoples there. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have as a church to worship you in so many ways this morning through our songs, through our prayers, through our giving, through our listening to your word. Lord, we know these are all acts of worship to you. And so, Lord, for those who've given online and those who are dropping off offerings in the box this morning, we thank you for their generosity. We pray you'll help us be good stewards of the resources you've given to us as a church that we would make you known here in Montgomery and throughout all the world. 
Lord, I just thank you for Seth. I'm thankful for his friendship. And Lord, I'm thankful for his eldership here, for the way he shepherds people, the way he leads our college students, the way he leads our host ministry. And Lord, I'm thank you for his faithfulness to teach your word in those settings. And now to teach this morning, we thank you for his willingness to preach and to continue as we study the Ten Commandments. We pray your blessings on him this morning. We give him clarity as he teaches and boldness as he teaches. I pray you'll give all of us receptive hearts and minds and ears to hear your word and for it to transform us. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. be with you today. Um, let's see, is this thing on? Yeah. You guys hear me now? Good. All right. Well, it's great to be with you today. We are continuing today our journey through the New City Catechism and presently through the Ten Commandments. Today we're going to be talking about the Ninth Commandment, about not bearing false witness against your neighbor. Uh, it's really been great to kind of go through these Ten Commandments. I think a lot of us, we, we learn them as children and we haven't, probably haven't thought a lot about them since that time. So it's been really a great exercise for me to kind of do in-depth studies of these Ten Commandments and really understand what does the law of God require? What does it prohibit? What does it mandate? Um, and it's really been a great thing to see um, just how amazing, amazing God's grace is and our complete and absolute failure to keep His law. Um, let me say, it's not lost on me that Grady has asked me, an attorney, to preach on the commandment concerning lying. <laughs> I'm not sure what message he's trying to send, but you will know that I'm preaching as much to myself this morning as I am to you. So as we study the Ten Commandments, it seems that the question we've been trying to answer with each of these commandments is, what must I do? Okay, we're studying what each commandment prohibits and mandates so that we may make efforts to honor God by keeping His law. But the heart behind the question, what must I do, is of eternal importance. We must not ask like the Pharisees asked. A Pharisee asked, what must I do with a heart to reduce God to a manageable set of rules to be followed with hopes of earning his own righteousness? In the latter part of the sermon, we're going to talk about someone who asked, what must I do with that kind of heart? But as we study the Ninth Commandment, I hope you're asking, what must I do from a heart secure in the righteousness that has already been bought for you in Jesus Christ? When we ask the question from that heart, the law of God is not our self-help self path to righteousness. It is instead a gentle and beautiful reminder of the heart and character of our holy God and an invitation to place our faith in Jesus Christ. So let's look at the ninth commandment today. Let's dig in and answer the question, what must I do? This commandment is asking us to look at. And, and we're, we're kind of a roadmap for you, what we're going to be looking at. We're going to first look at what conduct and heart attitudes uh, the Ninth Commandment prohibits. We're going to second look at what conduct and heart attitudes the Ninth, command, the Ninth Commandment mandates. And then we're going to look at how we can better understand the gospel in light of the Ninth Commandment. So if you would, please stand with me. We're going to read Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. And we do this each week just to honor the Word of God, even though we're reading short verses right now. But Exodus 20, 16 says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Lord, we thank you so much for the gift of your word. We thank you that you have seen fit to reveal who you are through your word. And Lord, I, I pray today that as we dig in and study this commandment about bearing false witness, that you, Holy Spirit, would help us to understand, uh, uh, just to, to really take this and to make this a part of who we are, that we would see your glory and your beauty, and that we would put our faith in you all the more. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. So the New City Catechism, as we've been using this tool to go through um, kind of the big picture of our faith, today the question we have is, what does God require in the Ninth Commandment? 
And the answer that, it, that the New City Catechism gives us is that we do not lie or deceive, but speak the truth in love. So what does God require in the Ninth Commandment? That we do not lie or deceive, but speak the truth in love. We see from the answer provided by the New City Catechism that there are two elements to honoring the Ninth Commandment. First, the Ninth Commandment prohibits us from bearing false witness. We're commanded not to do certain things. It's a negative commandment uh, concerning certain conduct and hard attitudes. But second, and this is implied, the Ninth Commandment also commands us to do certain things. We're commanded to speak the truth in love and to actually have in our heart a desire to benefit our brothers and sisters with true, loving speech. It's a positive command mandating certain conduct and hard attitudes. So let's begin our discussion today with what the Ninth Commandment prohibits, that we do not lie or deceive. The Ninth Commandment is a prohibition of bearing false witness against our neighbors. The language used, particularly the word interpreted as a witness, indicates that the prohibited conduct is falsely testifying against your neighbor in a legal or official proceeding. This makes sense in that testimony given in a legal proceeding is often some of the most consequential words we can speak. Right in a legal, in a legal proceeding, a witness's testimony is incredibly important. We see this all throughout Scripture. Facts were established by the use of two or three witnesses. We see that in uh, our, our current legal system, even in, in uh, cases involving the death penalty. The facts where somebody could be determined guilty are oftentimes established by the testimony of witnesses. We see it in divorce proceedings with child custody hearings, right? Oftentimes, the custody of the children is determined by the, by the uh, testimony of witnesses. So given the significance of these words, it's easy to see that one person's bearing witness can cause great harm to another person. The witness we bear, or the testimony we give, about another has consequences. So reading the text literally, the Ninth Commandment prohibits us from harming our neighbor by lying to establish an untrue fact against them in a legal or official proceeding. It prohibits lying against your neighbor to harm them. However, as we've seen with some of our other commandments, we can't stop with this narrow reading, right? Uh, we, we should not think that we fulfill the spirit of the, of the Ninth Commandment simply by not lying against our neighbor in court. The conduct prohibited by the commandment is broader than that. It seems a general principle to keep in mind when reading the Ten Commandments is that God exp expressly prohibits the extreme form of the sin addressed, but that prohibition also includes the, the quote-unquote lesser sins encompassed by that extreme sin. So remember the Sixth Commandment, right? The Sixth Commandment expressly prohibits murder. That commandment, however, does not prohibit only the act of killing someone else, but as Jesus later explained, it prohibits having hatred in our hearts towards someone else, even if we don't act on that hatred, right? The seventh commandment expressly prohibits committing adultery. That commandment, however, does not prohibit only the act of having sex with someone not our spouse, but as Jesus later explained, it prohibits having lust in our hearts for someone not our spouse, even if we never act on that lust. So generally, the Ten Commandments tend to expressly prohibit the extreme sinful action, but that prohibition also includes uh, sins from the extreme expression of that sin, so murder and adultery, all the way down to the heart level of our thoughts and desires, which would be hatred and lust. So the same principle is true for the Ninth Commandment. We're prohibited not just from lying in court, but also from speaking any falsehood, particularly falsehoods that would bring harm to our neighbor, and further, from even desiring to harm our neighbor through falsehood. So we can safely conclude, as the New City Catechism does, 
that the ninth commandment prohibits all forms of lying and deceit. That would include lying, slander, perpetuating untrue rumors, accusing someone of a sin before knowing if they're actually guilty, half-truths, not speaking the entire truth, declining an invitation because you're busy, when the real reason is you just don't want to go. The list could go on and on, but you get the idea. All forms of lying and deceit are prohibited by the ninth commandment. But we see that not only are we prohibited from actually speaking false things about our neighbor, we are also prohibited from desiring to hurt our brothers and sisters with falsehood. Consider what James 3, 5 through 8 says about the tongue. It's going to be on the screen for you. James uh, 3, 5 through 8 says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Drop down to verse 8. No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. But the physical tongue itself is not necessarily what James is referring there to, right? A dead person's tongue doesn't speak evil against anyone. It speaks no words because the spirit of that person has departed from the body. The tongue only speaks what is in the heart. So as we think of the tongue, it's best to think of it as a revealer of our souls, of what lies in our hearts. Listen to Luke chapter 6, verses 43 to 45. This is Jesus talking. He says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. And here's the important part. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. So in addition to all the prohibited forms of speech I mentioned earlier, it's safe for us to to conclude that the sinful heart attitudes behind those words are also prohibited. The desire to harm someone by telling lies about them is prohibited. The desire to tear someone's reputation down through slander is prohibited. The desire to listen to falsehood and gossip about another is prohibited. Delighting in someone's downfall based on falsehood is prohibited. The desire to benefit yourself or another based on lies is prohibited. The desire to remain silent and not confront falsehood about another is prohibited. And it makes sense that God would prohibit lying and the desire to lie, right? Consider John 8, 44. Jesus said, You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when we lie, we align ourselves with Satan. We believe that Satan's way is better than God's way. Simply put, lying is demonic. Jesus, on the other hand, is the truth. In John 14, 6, Jesus says that he is the way and the truth and the life. In 1 John 4, 6, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the spirit of truth. Guys, God is truth. And when we tell the truth, we are aligning ourselves with God. So in summary, the ninth commandment prohibits all lies and deceit and all desire to lie and deceive. We must not harm or desire to harm our brother by engaging or participating in lies or deceit. So now that we've established what the ninth commandment prohibits, let's look at what it mandates. 
The New City Catechism tells us that the Ninth Commandment mandates that we speak the truth in love to our brothers and sisters. In looking at what is prohibited by the Ninth Commandment, we began with the external acts, and we worked all the way back down to those internal heart attitudes that are also prohibited. In reasoning through what is mandated by the Ninth Commandment, I think it's helpful to begin with the heart and establish the, the mandated heart attitude will help us better understand the conduct that flows out of that heart. Jesus' Jesus's familiar words are our starting point. Let's look at Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. In Matthew 22, 36 through 40, uh, someone asked Jesus, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus is telling us that the manner in which we fulfill the law of God, which includes the ninth commandment, is to love God with all that we are and to love our neighbors as ourselves. The heart that fulfills the law is one of love, love for God and others. Paul says more specifically in Romans what Jesus said in Matthew. Look at Romans chapter 13, verses 8 and 10. Paul writes uh, in Romans there, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment, which would be the one we're studying today, are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Similarly, Paul says in Galatians 5.14, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the heart attitude mandated by the ninth commandment is love for our neighbor. In order to speak in a manner consistent with the ninth commandment, we must, uh, we must have love in our heart for our neighbor. Before we speak to or about our neighbor, we must ensure that we are doing so from a place of love. And Paul defines for us what love looks like. You guys are very familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. This is Scripture's definition of love. Paul writes, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Guys, that must be our heart for, uh, for our neighbor before we open our mouths to speak. If that is not our heart for our neighbor, we will not speak words that are consistent with the ninth commandment. Remember Luke 6.45, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So from this heart of love, that's how we must speak. Our conduct flows from our heart. It follows in that the conduct mandated by the Ninth Commandment is that we, one, speak the truth about and to our neighbor, and two, that we do so in love. So we must speak the truth about and to our neighbor, and we must do so in love. So let's start with speaking the truth. The words that we are mandated to speak are words of truth. If we truly love our neighbor, we will speak words of truth about him and to him. So speaking the truth about our neighbor, remember textually, the command to not bear false witness against our neighbors pertains to the testimony we give in a legal or official proceeding, 
But as we discussed, this commandment not only prohibits speaking falsehood in that official proceeding, but speaking any falsehood at any time, all right? So this, of course, applies out of court as well. And talking about our neighbors, we must do so from a heart of love and speak only true things about them. Don't make up stories. Don't embellish things. Don't exaggerate. We must speak only true things about our neighbor. And we also must speak the truth to our neighbor, right? And what is specifically in mind here is the truth of the gospel, the truth of the full counsel of God's word. And that idea that we're to speak the truth in love, it comes from Ephesians 4.15. And I want to read this for you in context to kind of see the, the full weight of this. Ephesians 4.11 through 16. It'll be on the screen. You can turn there if you want. Ephesians 4.11 through 16. This is Paul writing. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human coming, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And here's verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the way that we're going to grow, the way that we're going to mature is by speaking the truth to one another. And we see from Ephesians 4 that the truth we are to be speaking to one another is the truth of the knowledge of Christ. And the purpose for speaking this truth to one another is that we may be unified, growing, and maturing in our faith. So the speaking of the truth of God should be happening in all contexts of life and by all members of the church as they are given opportunity to do so. Each one of you is mandated to speak the truth of God to your neighbor. It's one of the ways in which you love them. I have the opportunity as one of your elders this morning to speak in this more formal setting, to speak the truth to you, to encourage you with that. But the truth of God should also be spoken by each one of you in your personal and family relationships. We desperately need one another to encourage us and to correct us with the truth of God. So as an aside, this, this is one reason why your personal devotion time is not solely for your personal benefit. Yes, you need to grow in your faith. And as you spend personal time with the Lord, you will personally grow in your faith. But I need you to be growing and your knowledge of the word of God so that you can speak encouragement and correction to me and vice versa. The community of faith here at Gateway needs each one of you seeking after the Lord with all that you are. As you come to understand the word of God, you'll be able to speak the word of God to one another. And as we speak the truth of God to one another in love, we will unify, grow, and mature in our faith. When you fail to pursue Jesus personally, the whole body suffers collectively. So we need the encouragement of the, truth in God, of the truth of God. We need the encouragement of the gospel, particularly for those of us who are suffering or weary or discouraged. We need to be encouraged with the truth of God. We need to be reminded of the goodness of our Father, right? Of the abundant life we have in Jesus Christ, of his promise to work all things together for our good, of the promise of the life to come. We need gospel encouragement. And we also need the correction of the truth of God. For those of us who are in sin, we need to be corrected with the truth. We need our eyes opened with the truth of Scripture. We need to be confronted with the reality of our sins so that we may repent. We need gospel correction. 
And in every instance where the truth is spoken, in every context, it must be spoken in love. This goes to the manner in which we speak the truth. It goes to the timing with which we speak the truth. The truth must be spoken in the spirit of 1 Corinthians 13. Gently, kindly, patiently, humbly, selflessly, endlessly. Think about what this means. We can speak the truth of God in such a way that is sinful. That's sobering to think about. Even if you speak the truth, you may be doing so in a way that does not come from a heart of love. It's a violation of the ninth commandment to speak the truth of God in a manner other than lovingly. It's also a violation of the, of the ninth commandment to speak falsehood from a place of love. The veracity of your words does not excuse the sinfulness of your unloving heart, and the tenderness of your heart for another does not excuse the sinfulness of failing to speak the truth. I'm going to say that again. The veracity of your words does not excuse the sinfulness of your unloving heart, and the tenderness of your heart for another does not excuse the sinfulness of failing to speak the truth. There's a couple ways I see this play out. I tend to fall in one camp, and my sweet wife Megan falls into the other. Maybe you guys can relate. She gave me permission to share this story. So first, if you're like me, it's a delight to speak the truth of God to other people. For those of us that love speaking the truth, we rightly view the truth of God as the answer in all circumstances. We view it as the key to the lock, the answer to the riddle, the truth will set you free. So when we know the truth and we see a brother not living by the truth, there is a strong desire to deliver the truth as quickly and sometimes as bluntly as possible. We believe that if our brother just had the truth, then they would be well. It's a horrifying thought to us to withhold the truth for any amount of time. It feels like we're harming them not to speak the truth immediately. But in our rush to speak the truth, we may ignore the in love aspect of speaking the truth. We forget that we're, that we're to speak the truth with gentleness and kindness. We forget that the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's a Hebrews 4.12. And instead of wielding the truth of God with great care like a scalpel, we bludgeon people with it like a club. We drop a truth bomb on them and leave them stunned and decimated. And we feel justified in delivering the truth and believe that any resistance or hurt feelings on the recipient's part is their problem and their sin. This is not love. Such a delivery of the truth of God is sinful. We must speak the truth patiently, humbly, gently, kindly. So here's some practical advice for us who love to speak the truth. Pray. When you see your brother in sin, your first instinct will be to speak. I would encourage you to first pray. Wait upon the Lord. Take your brother whom you believe to be in sin to the Lord in personal prayer. Don't talk about it with others. Don't gossip around. Don't share it. Ask for a heart of love and mercy. Ask for the Holy Spirit to prepare your heart to speak the truth in love. And before you go to speak to your brother, pray and ask that the Holy Spirit would convict. The Lord loves your brother and the truth more than you do. As I've practiced this in my marriage and in my life, it's been amazing to me how many times the Lord has chosen to bring conviction through a vessel other than myself. As I take that person to the Lord in prayer, 
it has been astonishing to me, right? It shows my lack of faith to watch the Lord work on his child and not use me to bring that truth at times. And so the second, the other way I see this play, way play out is if you're like my sweet wife. Megan is wired in such a way that she loves to show people the mercy and love of God. For those of you that love showing the mercy of God, you rightly believe that the love of God will transform a person. It is exciting to you to encourage people with the grace and mercy of God. You love the message of God's endless love and grace. You even love to share the truth of God to affirm someone in their righteous way. And when you see a brother in sin, your first instinct is not to meet them with truth, but to meet them with grace and pour out the mercy of God in kindness. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful picture of the lavish and compassionate nature of the Father. But in your exuberance to demonstrate the mercy of God, the truth of God may be delayed too long, or in the worst of cases, may not be spoken at all. You forget Proverbs 25, 11 through 13. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in the setting of silver. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him. He refreshes the soul of his master. So you may be content to love a brother in active sin, believing that he will eventually come to a self-realization and repent. You may think that it can't possibly be your responsibility to confront your brother in his sin. While you know that everyone is in sin and everyone needs to be made aware of their sin, it's horrifying for you to think about being the one to personally go to that person and confront them in their sin. This is a sinful failure to deliver the truth of God. And we must speak the truth of God endlessly and selflessly. So here's some practical advice for those of you who love to demonstrate mercy. I would also encourage you to pray. Pray that the Lord would give you boldness in him to love your brother by speaking the truth. Pray that you would have eyes to see how the truth of God is a necessary aspect of the mercy of God. Pray for the person in sin to repent and offer yourself as a living sacrifice to be the grace gift God may use to bring his sweet and refreshing conviction. So neither of us who, live to speak, who love to speak the truth or, or those of us who love to show mercy are wrong, but sometimes these giftings need to grow and mature. They get out of balance. For those naturally inclined to speak the truth, we need to mature and seek the Father's heart of mercy. For those naturally inclined to demonstrate the mercy of God, you need to mature and seek the Father's heart of truth. We both need to see that God's truth is most effective when it is spoken in love. We need to celebrate one another's giftings and minister together. Right? One of my greatest delights in marriage is that Megan's heart for mercy is such a great balance to my heart for truth. The Lord has used us to sanctify one another, to mature our giftings, and to better minister his gospel. And that's how the body of Christ works. You don't have to be married to enjoy that aspect of it. We are a body of Christ with different giftings, with different callings, with different wirings, and we must minister with one another to properly reflect the full counsel of God's word. So dive into that, guys. Encourage, find somebody to minister alongside you. So in summary, the ninth commandment prohibits all lies and deceit and all desires to lie and deceive, and it mandates that we speak the truth in love about and to one another. So now I want us to look at, at the gospel in light of the ninth commandment. So at the beginning of the sermon, I mentioned how we tend to approach the commandments with the question, 
What must I do? And we've talked about that. We have that tendency, though, don't we, to put ourselves at the center of Scripture rather than God. This is nothing new. You remember the story of the rich young ruler from Matthew 19. Remember that he came to Jesus and asked, What good deed must I do to have eternal life? The rich young ruler put himself at the center. At the heart of his question was one of self-justification. And like the rich young ruler, our, our flesh loves to try and justify ourselves. It allows us to keep control when we can do that. We love to think of the law as an external set of moral rules that we follow. Thinking of it that way allows us to maintain, maintain control. We create the life that we want to live, and then we work in on our own time, on our own schedule, on a level of commitment that we're comfortable with, following the external law of God. This approach to Christianity makes us feel good. We keep the rules, we accomplish the tasks, and in so doing, we become prideful, convincing ourselves that we have actually kept the rules. And look at the rich young ruler. That's what happened to him, right? Jesus told him to keep the Ten Commandments in order to inherit eternal life, and the rich young ruler said, all these things I have kept. This is crazy. The rich young ruler genuinely believed that he had perfectly kept the Ten Commandments from his youth. He believed that he had always spoken truth about and to his neighbors from a heart of perfect love for them. That is incredibly arrogant. But even in his self-righteous pride and arrogance, the rich young ruler knew something was missing. Why else would he have come to ask Jesus what he was lacking? And this is where Jesus shows him what the law really requires. Jesus calls him to give up everything he has for the sake of Christ. He invites him to love God with all of his heart, mind, and soul. He invites him to put his faith in Jesus and not in his possessions. This invitation exposes the rich young ruler's self-righteous heart. You see, the rich young ruler preferred serving God on his own terms. Right? He preferred an external set of rules that he convinced himself he was keeping, thereby earning his righteousness. This version of Christianity would have allowed him to keep all of his possessions, all of his power, all of his pride, and still inherit the kingdom of God. This version of Christianity would have allowed him to keep control and not surrender all that he was to God. Listen to what Paul says about this approach to Christianity in Galatians 5, 2 through 6. We'll have that on the screen. Galatians 5, 2 through 6. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, and really we can understand that to mean the law, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Do you hear what Paul is saying here? Our keeping the Ten Commandments earns us nothing. It is useless in relation to our salvation. This is what the rich young ruler couldn't accept. He couldn't humble himself and accept that all of his efforts, all of his work, all of his law-keeping had earned him nothing. And I wonder how many of us might be in that same boat. Our salvation is not based on what we do. There is a similar invitation for you this morning. Jesus is inviting you to follow him completely. He's inviting you to lay down your own righteousness and to accept his righteousness. 
Don't think of the Ten Commandments as rules to follow. Think of them as a mirror by which the Spirit of God is showing you that you are not able to earn your own righteousness. The Ten Commandments are not a pathway to righteousness that we can obtain by obeying. They are instead the revelation of God's character that we cannot obtain by our own efforts and strengths. The Ten Commandments shows us how far our hearts are from God. It is in Jesus alone that you may be saved. He is the only one who has kept the Ten Commandments. He's the only one that has perfectly obeyed the Father. He's the only one who has truly loved the Father with all that he is and loved his neighbor as himself. Jesus' love of the Father is beautifully portrayed at the cross. His love for us is portrayed there. Jesus, having perfectly obeyed the law of God, deserved the Father's delight, but he instead received the Father's wrath. The wrath that was meant for us, the wrath for our sins and our failure to keep his law. Jesus bore the sinnerty for our willful disobedience. He was put to the death that we deserve. And instead of receiving the wrath of God that we deserve, we now receive the delight of God that Jesus deserved. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The good news is that your salvation is not based on your works. It is based on Jesus' work. Jesus is inviting you to lay down your efforts, to lay down your pride, to lay down the thought that you can please God by your works. Come to him. Give up everything you are. Receive the grace and delight of God by the work of Jesus Christ. Believe that Jesus' work on the cross was sufficient for you and follow him. No conditions, nothing off limits, full of love and grace for those around you. Work now from a place of belonging, peace, and rest rather than from a place of pride, arrogance, and entitlement. When we understand this, when we truly start to grasp this, we will obey the Ten Commandments. Not because we have to, not because we'll go to hell if we don't, not because we'll be counted righteous by our works. We'll obey the Ten Commandments and all of God's law in increasing measure because we will see more and more that our obedience of the Father's will is our greatest joy and delight. Resting in the love and grace of God will work incredibly hard for the glory of Jesus Christ as we love God and as we love people. So to answer the question, what must I do? As we look at the ninth commandment this morning, simply believe in Jesus Christ and follow him. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the ninth commandment. We thank you, Lord, that you have shown us the sinfulness of our hearts. We thank you that you have shown us that we are hopeless without you. And Lord, I pray for each one of us here that we would lay down our pride, that we would lay down our striving after you, that we would lay down the thought and the belief that we can earn something from you. You have blessed us in Jesus Christ. For those of us found in you, Jesus, we have all things. We have all righteousness. And now we get to work from a place of joy and delight not obligation. And so, Lord, I pray for those here who don't know you. I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds. I pray you would open their eyes to see today is the day of salvation. Today is the day you can quit striving. Today is the day that you can place your faith entirely in Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.
I'll stand with us as we get ready to sing.
close us in prayer. I want to do what we do most weeks as we wrap up our study of the catechism. I want us to ask the question and say the answer out loud together to remind each other. Of us. Our question today is, what does God require in the ninth commandment? And here's our answer. Let's say it together. That we do not lie or deceive, but speak the truth in love. Father, we confess our great need for grace in this area. Lord, you know some of our tendency to speak the truth, but to not be loving. You know some of our tendency is to want to love and be hesitant to speak the truth. Well, you know where each of us are, and I pray that you would grow us through your Holy Spirit dwelling within us this week to be people who speak the truth in love to our spouse, to our kids, to our neighbors, to our classmates, to our coworkers, or to one another here in the body of Christ at Gateway. But help us not be hesitant to do that, but let's see the beauty of loving one another and speaking the truth from a place of love. Lord, we know that all around us are people who do not know your love, who do not know of the grace that we have celebrated this morning. So this week, would you make us aware of opportunities to speak the unchanging truth of the gospel to people you've put in our path who so desperately need to hear it. Help us be faithful to be your hands and feet and to be your mouthpiece for the people we run into this week. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday afternoon.